Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the man who was a goalkeeper for Harvard. He started his college soccer career at New York University. He was twice a second-team All-American at Harvard. After college, he played for seven seasons in the North American Soccer League and six in the major indoor soccer league. He spent over 15 years as a color commentator on U.S. telecasts of professional soccer. He is a member of the New York Sports Hall of Fame, the National Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, and the Nassau County Sports Hall of Fame. It is a pleasure to welcome the man who made soccer cool on Long Island in the 70s. The one and only Shep Messing to WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Shep. <laughs> That's a great introduction. I, I was doing some fact checking. I think you got it all right, but thanks for having me on. <laughs> Especially the part about making soccer cool in the <laughs> 70s on Long Island, and I could certainly attest to that. You know, you went to Wheatley High School in Roslyn where you played baseball, basketball, and football in addition to wrestling and pole vaulting. But interestingly enough, Wheatley dropped its football program, and then you had to choose between soccer and cross country. Why did you choose soccer over cross country? <laughs> It's a, it's a great story, and look, the best stories are the true ones. So uh, a coach came up to me, a soccer coach, and he said, I need a goalkeeper, and if you take a point guard in basketball, which I was, or, or you take a shortstop in baseball, which I had played, he said, that, that, and you're a little bit crazy, that makes a good goalkeeper. So he brought me out to watch a game, and I, I, this is the truth. I saw 10 guys on each team running up and down six miles during the game. I saw one guy standing in the goal dressed all in black. I said, that's for me. That's the position for me. I'm not doing cross country. I'll be a goalkeeper. That's how it started. You know, it's interesting because uh, your success in, in pole vaulting earned you a state record. At that time, more than 13 feet scholarships uh, offers poured in. In your autobiography, The Education of an American Soccer Player, you said, I found the purest enjoyment in those solitary hours of practice where the only competition was between the bar and me. So I'm wondering how much of that solitary focus helped you as a goalkeeper? Yeah, that's a great question, very, very sharp on your part, because there's really a great analogy to that. Goalkeeper in, in soccer, probably the same uh, in hockey or, or lacrosse, it's a very unusual position. And that, that mental clarity, that focus, I always say, I've been broadcasting for Madison Square Garden, I've broadcast the Red Bull games, uh, I'm still doing it today, it's my 18th year, and during the broadcast, when I talk about goalkeeping, I talk about it being the juxtaposition, the combination of having the power of a train wreck, a train collision, but having the serenity of, uh, of yoga. You really need to have that, that balanced edge between being ferocious and being in the moment as you do in yoga. So when you get that combination correct, whether you're flying and concentrating on getting over that bar at 13 feet, and and you're you're totally focused. You have tunnel vision on that aspect of the jump, of the pole vault, or the save, or the moment in soccer. 
it's a very unique feeling, and it, it, it really carried over from pole vaulting to my career in soccer. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that about the ferocity and the tranquility. Uh, and, and I have to imagine that that's a very fine line. And you mentioned goalkeeper, very similar in soccer as it is lacrosse and, and baseball, I mean, and hockey. Um, you know, I've gone into the locker room many games afterwards to interview Henrik Lundqvist, and you can see how mentally spent he is at the end of every game. How taxing is that to try and find that balance to, you know, maybe four or five minutes at a time, nothing going on, and then all of a sudden the play coming right at you, and, and it's a crucial save at that moment? AJ, this could be the best radio interview I've ever had in 30 that, years. That actually so. was Mark asking the questions. AJ hasn't asked oh, Mark. yet. So, okay, so Mark, I'll, give well, credit, I'll give credit to Mark. Okay. I'm, I'm laying well, back well, and well, waiting. guys. This is outstanding because you really hit the nail on the head. Lundquist is a friend of mine. Back in the days when I was playing for the New York Arrows at the Nassau Coliseum, that's when the Islanders ran off uh, four Stanley Cups in a row. The New York Arrows won four championships at the same time, and I used to train with Smitty. All the goalkeepers would train together. So back to your question, I'll never forget. Your question is right on. I never forget an Olympic qualifying game where we went down to penalty kicks. I rarely touched the ball during the game. The game uh, was in Mexico. And at the end of the game, I cried. You know, you, you just that pent-up emotion from being totally focused for 90 minutes, whether you have action or not, it's completely draining. And so I know the feeling that Lundquist talks about. Smitty had the same. All goalkeepers feel it. Even when the ball or the puck is at the other end, you have to have laser focus, and it's draining emotionally. You, know, you, you raise a good point, though. This is, this is AJ. And, and, and Mark, Mark is a hockey person. His frame of reference is hockey. One of my sons played soccer through high school, so I got a little understanding of soccer, how it plays. The big difference for goalkeepers in hockey and soccer, you just hit the nail on the head, is the number of saves you have to make in the course of a game. And, of course, the size and, of the goal. Well, <laughs> no, but just saying, but the difference is in terms of concentration. Now, you yep. know, Henrik Lundqvist, in a good game, will make, what, 30 saves? Yep. It could be an attack. Depends on what you consider a good game. A good game for him yeah, or a good right. game for the well, defense? I mean, okay, a good game for, an, an a good game game for, for the Rangers would be 15 shots on so goal. The question is, how much harder is it in a sport like soccer? Again, we say there are things like penalty kicks more so than, than there are you know, penalty shots in hockey, although there's a shootout now. But you know, in terms of what do you, how much harder is it in soccer to be a goaltender because there's so much greater gaps in the action, as it were? Yeah, that's a great question as well. You guys are, I'm telling you, you're my new dynamic duo. I've done radio interviews for everybody over the last 20 years. This is, these are the best questions I've ever gotten. So, to your point, look, I played indoor soccer at the Nassau Coliseum where it's totally analogous to the NHL. It's like arena you would football. make 30, 35 saves. But in the outdoor game, you may be required to touch the ball eight times maybe make three or four saves in the game. So what, what that does is it ramps up how mentally focused you have to be. And that's why goalkeepers have the reputation for being crazy. <laughs> Look, I'd be, I'd be at Giant Stadium in front of 80,000 people with Pelé on my team, and I, the fans would see me talking to my goal post, right? Yeah. The ball's at the other end of the field, and I'm, I'm talking to my goal post, and they're saying, this guy's crazy. <laughs> No, but it's keeping me in the game. You have to find those tricks, that mental clarity to stay focused, because in a nanosecond, you might have to make the one play 
that makes the difference in the game. You know, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, the Cosmos and also the indoor soccer. Indoor soccer, I was actually a vendor at the Nassau Coliseum during those days when Steve Zungle was there and, you know, and Doc yep. Lawson and you. And, it, and I love that game. But A.J. mentioned the way his son played soccer. And yeah. I, I have a feeling that they probably would have not been playing soccer had it not been for the New York Cosmos and the success of the North American Soccer League here. Uh, incredibly, you signed professionally with the Cosmos uh, for the sum of $2,300. This was 1973 when the league only had nine teams. They averaged less than 6,000 fans per game. The Cosmos played actually at Hofstra on a, a pretty bad field where maybe if they were lucky they got 1,000 people at a time. It's interesting to note that while you were playing for the Cosmos, you were also still teaching and coaching at Wheatley High and in 1974, you posed nude for Viva Magazine, an adult <laughs> women's magazine. So, first of all, how did that offer come about? And were you surprised at how much attention and notoriety you got from that? Well, I've, I've just been telling you guys this is the greatest interview ever, and it just went downhill. <laughs> 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 Listen, the, the superintendent, the principal at Westbury High School, the magazine came out. First of all, the way it came about, Jim Bouton, who was at the time... Uh, had just had a highlight career as a pitcher for the New York Yankees. Bouton was a friend of mine. He called me up and he said, look, they want this athlete, an athlete to pose nude in the magazine. You know, they'll pay $5,000. I don't want to do it. Do you want to do it? I said, $5,000? Where do I have to go? So <laughs> I didn't think anybody would see it. But all the girls <laughs> in the high school ran out and bought it. The principal at Westbury High School called me into the office and fired me. But the wrestling coach came to my defense. He, he said, Chef's my assistant coach. I need him. And they gave in, and they, they, <laughs> they let me stay. But more than that, look, I, I told everybody at the time, the league, the North American Soccer League, uh, suspended me. Uh, they claimed I violated the morals clause of the contract. I said, look. You've got nobody at the games. I got you more exposure in one magazine than you've got in the whole year. So they That's the double return for exposure, by the way. Right. <laughs> yeah. They let me play. Look, it's not something I'm proud of now, but at the time, you know, I'm a child of the 60s and the 70s, and I was pretty uninhibited. And it actually added to my reputation as a professional goalkeeper over the years of being a little bit crazy. You know, let's talk a little bit. But bring, before bring that, it back bring it back to No, uh, I want to bring it back to, you know, you know, sometimes things yeah. happen for reasons. Yeah. So you mentioned how you were suspended on the morals clause and basically you were moved off the Cosmos and you signed with the Boston Minutemen of the NASL. What did coach Vogelsinger mean to the evolution of your game with the short time you had with him? Another good question. And every athlete in every sport, uh, every child, every grown athlete will tell you there was always one coach who was the coach for you. Uh, whether it's you guys, Mark and AJ, whether it's your son, everybody who plays a sport, man, woman, boy, girl, they always had that one coach. Vogel Singer was a coach for me because I had just been put on waivers, released by the Cosmos trying to get a tryout with every other team in the league. Nobody would give me a tryout. But I remember Vogelsinger because he had been the coach at Yale, and I had played against him when I was playing for Harvard. Oh, wow. And I called up Hubert Vogelsinger, and, and he said, boy, I hated you when you played <laughs> against me in college. He said, but 
I loved you as a goalkeeper, and he's the one guy who took a chance and signed me. And, and I ended up leading the, the league in goalkeeping that year. The following year, I played against the Cosmos, against Pelé, at Yankee Stadium, saved a penalty kick against Pelé at Yankee Stadium. And again, for me, as a boy who was born in the Bronx, grew up two blocks away from Yankee Stadium, here I am facing Pelé, stopping a penalty kick at Yankee Stadium, and the next week their goalkeeper broke his collarbone. You talk about sometimes things happen for a reason. Pelé had the right, the unwritten right, to pick the players that he wanted on his team. And Pelé said, I want that goalkeeper from Boston. Uh, and that's how I got traded back to the Cosmos. So, you know, things happen for a reason. Vocal singer was a very influential man in my life because everybody, boy or girl, man or woman, in sports, you're going to get knocked down. And it's not how many times you get knocked down. You know that, guys. How many times you get back up. And Vogel Singer, he gave me that chance. If you're just tuning in, of course, it's very late in the show, so where were you for the past hour and a half? We're talking to Long Island's own Chet Messing, a soccer legend. And that really leads to my next question. Taking a look back, you're basically the same age as I am, and looking at soccer in the pantheon of all sports and kids, knowing about it and playing it and its popularity. So when you started off, you know, back even in the 70s, soccer was a sport that, yeah, maybe it's an up-and-coming sport, but it's not football, it's not baseball, you know, it's not basketball. How do you think it's evolved now, its level of popularity, and where do you see it going? Yeah, guys, look, I'm always going to be an American New York guy, and I'm always going to love baseball and the NFL and basketball and hockey. I'm an avid sports fan. I'm not going to be all soccer, but I can tell you this, soccer... In my day in the 70s, as a player, we laid the foundation for everything that's happening today, for the U.S. national team, for the World Cup, and for Major League Soccer. This sport has exploded in the country. There are more kids, boys and girls that play soccer than baseball and football combined. At the professional level, and I'm a hockey fan, I'd make the argument that Major League Soccer has surpassed the NHL in terms of popularity, in terms of attendance, and they're right up there with the NBA. Are they ever going to replace Major League Baseball and the NFL and the NHL and the NBA? Never. But they don't have to. The demographics, the population in this country is all pointing to soccer. And I'll make one last point, that if you look at the NFL, NFL was a sport whose time was made by television. TV and the NFL was a marriage made in heaven. But if you look at technology today, soccer is a sport that was made for the Internet. The young kids who are five years old playing EA FIFA on their iPad, and they know every player in the world, from Real Madrid to Barcelona. So soccer is the sport for this age of technology. And all I could tell you, if you're in the tri-state area and you've never been to Red Bull Arena, that's where I broadcast the games for Madison Square Garden. I've been there 20 years with my friend Walt Frazier doing the Knicks. you got to go to Red Bull Arena. It's, I think, the most beautiful stadium in any sport in the country. The atmosphere is electric. The soccer is quality. So I'll wrap it up by saying I love every sport, just like any other New Yorker. But soccer is not here to stay. It's entrenched, 
and I think it's only going to get bigger. You know, it's interesting you say that because we've had guests on a number of times over the yeah. years, and for some reason, AJ and I have yet to get out to a Red Bulls game, despite right. numerous invitations. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a big hockey guy. I mean, I yep. love hockey. Huge hockey um, guy. For a guy that Too loves big. hockey, give me the two-minute elevator pitch that, you know, soccer is just as exciting, even though there are so many less shots on goal during a game. I'm going to give you the best pitch in the world because the truth is always the best pitch. I told you about how long I've been at Madison Square Garden with Frazier doing the Knicks, and I've been doing Red Bull. Well, guess who my play-by-play guy is? He's a guy named Steve Cangelosi, who's the play-by-play guy for the New Jersey Devils. And Steve Cangelosi loves hockey. And he, as you know, he replaced a legend in Doc Emmert, right, Mm -hmm. with the Devils. Right. Steve Cangelosi has fallen in love with soccer. And thank goodness he doesn't have to make a choice. But Cangelosi, you know how it is to call the Devils game or an NHL game the rhythm, the cadence, the number of shots, the names, the pronunciations, the, the lightning speed of play. And Steve Cangelosi is just as much in love with soccer at Red Bull Arena. So, you know, it's a different type of thing. It's theater, it's art, and it's a train collision. You've you got to be there to experience it. So I don't care who else has invited you guys out there. You'll come be my guest in a suite there one night uh, when Cangelosi and I are calling a game. That's an offer that, we, can't we can't refuse. I mean, that, you know, when you put right. it that way, wow. All right, <laughs> we only have like uh, two minutes before we have to go off the air, so real two quickies. All right, who's the most exciting player in the game today? Wow. I mean, I broadcast for, you're talking worldwide or Major League Soccer? Look, everybody knows about Lionel Messi. Right. I'm uh, talking Barcelona. about I'm talking about right here in the metro area. Right here. Right here in the metro area. There was a game, and it's the reason I couldn't come on. I'll wrap it up quickly. New York Red Bull played NYCFC at 6 o'clock tonight. And I was listening on the radio on the Yankee way in here Stadium, tonight. Me too. I was right. listening on the Yankee Stadium, yeah. sold out soccer capacity, wow. 30,000 people. That's a rivalry. The two best players in the world in this league, in the tri-state area, performed. Bradley Wright Phillips for New York Red Bull, he scored two goals. He's been the most prolific goal scorer in the league the last four years. But David Villa, he's superb. He scored three goals. Third goal was on a penalty kick. NYCFC won 3-2. to It was an unbelievable game. But to your question, it's Bradley Wright Phillips and David Villa they're neck and neck. They're the two most exciting players to watch in the league, and they both play here in our market. And lastly, the goaltender, goalkeeper, most like Shep Messing in the league. <laughs> Nobody will ever compare to me. I, I was too wild. I was too crazy. Luis Robles for the, for the Red Bull team is fantastic, but he's way too conservative <laughs> to be like me. Uh, I, I can't think of another goalkeeper uh, that's kind of in my mold. Well, Shep, thanks so much for coming on with us. Nice. Thank you so much for the gracious invitation, which, trust me, we will take you up oh, on yeah. it. More importantly, thanks for making it so cool to be a Jewish kid playing any sport on Long Island in his 70s, as well as making soccer a must-see <laughs> yeah. in the 70s as well. Guys, thanks so okay. much for having me on anytime. Awesome. The one and only Shep Messick.